Hey everyone, I'm Gracie and welcome to Grace of a Military Child podcast. The world should know how unique military children are. We may look like normal children on the outside, but we go through some pretty extraordinary circumstances that shape us to the leaders we are today. That is the sole purpose of this podcast, to share our stories to the world. Hi, Taryn. Welcome to the podcast. How are you? Well, thanks. How are you? I'm doing good. So tell me a little bit about being a military child who served in the military, etc. Okay, well, I was I was a career military brat, sort of birth to lack of dependency, I guess. Um, my dad was Air Force. He was an Air Force officer. And um, I was a brat from 1985 to 2004, whenever I went off to college. Yeah. Awesome. So what kind of experiences did you have as a military child? Did you move frequently? We did. Um, every two or three years, which is pretty merciful compared to some kids who are moved sometimes every year. Um, we were really lucky. We got some pretty sweet spots. We did California. We did Florida. We did Colorado Springs. It was never like Nowheresville, Texas, or <laughs> armpit, Alabama. <laughs> so we, we were pretty lucky. We got to go be over um, in England, which apparently is like everyone's favorite place to be. If anyone asks like the Air Force spouses, where would you like to be? Everyone says Lake and Heath Royal Air Force Base, where we got to be there. And I started out life with a really cute little British accent. <laughs> so out of all of those places, do you have like a count of how many times you ended up moving? Oh boy. I should have counted beforehand. <laughs> all right. So, so I was born in Pennsylvania then it was Colorado, England, California, Florida, Colorado, Pennsylvania, Florida, Colorado. So we had some repeats in there. Yeah, for sure. Do you have a favorite place out of all of those? Um, I think if you had asked me as a kid, it would have been Colorado. Um, the Air Force Academy is right in the, the foothills of the Rocky Mountains, right up against the Pikes Peak National Forest. And, you know, sometimes you, sometimes you get bears in your trash can and like mountain lions <laughs> dragging deer through the cul-de-sac. Just really beautiful. And because it's a, a military academy, you're right up against that culture of service. And the cadets are playing these crazy pranks. And I don't know, it's, it's just a beautiful, fun spot to be. Yeah. Do you, would you call Colorado home then, or do you have another place that you would call home? I would call Pennsylvania home. I was born there. My husband was born there. My parents were born there. Oh, correction. My dad was born in Australia, but then moved to Pennsylvania. So I have lots of family in Pennsylvania. So even though we never lived in my hometown when I was a kid, that was kind of where our roots stayed. Yeah. Did you feel drawn to go back to Pennsylvania after you uh, graduated high school and moved on? For sure. That's where I did college and we are actually moving back there in June. So yes, call. <laughs> <laughs> Very drawn to Pennsylvania. Yeah. Um, that is a typical thing. Like it's such a hard question to answer. Where is home? Especially having so many different moves. Yeah. Uh, trying to pick one that stood out and 
you know, some people are like, okay, well, I graduated high school here. Like, that's home. I lived here for the longest. That's home. I had the most experiences here. That's home. So it's definitely a hard question to pick and choose. And then, you know, once you find that, then you're more or less drawn to go back there and experience more life there. Yeah. And it does come down to the people. I mean, Pennsylvania, in terms of climate, it's not my favorite. I don't like long winters. <laughs> so, but you, you know, you sacrifice location for people or people for location often. And there's that trade off. Sure. Um, That's the same way. Um, living in Texas, I lived there for quite a while and, you know, the people there were just so they're undescribable. And so, you know, I feel drawn there because, you know, the people there and, you know, the hot summers are a pain, but <laughs> they, I mean, Texas is something else. <laughs> yes, for sure. Did you have any siblings growing up? I did. I have a sister who's 19 months younger and a brother who's four years younger than I am. Did you find that you had to, especially being an older sibling, kind of, I guess, lay the path of figuring out moving and going to new locations? Yeah, lay the path is exactly the metaphor that I had in my head. I felt like I was the kid with the machete, like cutting through this jungle of newness. Um, Because you you really have to figure out every new location. Every place has a different culture, no matter if you're stateside or um, international. So yeah, I felt very protective. And I was sort of the, I guess I was sort of the classic oldest child, resilient, like nothing's a problem. I've got this handled. Um, Yeah, but you're an oldest child too, right? I am. Yes. So I have a younger sister and uh, yeah, I felt the same way having to, you know, lay the path down and say, okay, this is kind of the way it's going to be for a little while until we figure it out. So, yeah, (laughs) yes. Um, Did you feel like you had a friend when you were moving because you had your siblings instead of, you know, you have to make new friends as soon as you get there? Do you feel like you had a friend, like a travel buddy with you the whole time? For sure. Our family was very close. So it felt sometimes like, you know, you put everyone in the car and start driving to the new location and everything you need is in that car. And that changes as you get older. Like when you're a little kid, at least for me, it was like, yay, next move. Like, whatever. Hey, people. See ya. Um, (laughs) You know, you get kind of mercenary a little bit, or at least I did as a kid. uh, And you kind of learn maybe not to get attached too much. Um, but, but it does, it did bond me with, with my siblings and my sister and I, you know, call each other every day, text each other. My mom and I are still super close and, um, I'm, I'm moving back 400 feet from her house. So yeah. <laughs> living the dream. <laughs> did you find, um, there was some moves that were harder than others or certain time periods in your life that were harder? Yeah. I mean, I, it seems like a common brat experience that your teen years when you're really figuring who figuring out who you are and and making those deeper connections. Um, I did three years in um, Tampa at a public high school, and then we moved to back to Usafa in Colorado Springs for my senior year. And that was hard. I left behind a running team, a really nice boyfriend, and 
yeah, that was hard. And I think, I think coming into knowing you're just going to be there for one year and then gone, I'm just like, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just here for school. I'm not going <laughs> to talk to anyone. Um, sure. Yeah. I don't know if you had that experience because you, you lived in Florida. I've listened to the podcast. clearly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I am currently living in Florida. I've been here okay. for the last seven years now. So okay. where were you stationed? Uh, we retired in Florida. So we, uh, I was born and raised in Ohio for nine years, and then I moved to Texas due to my dad's injuries in 2011 and lived there for three years while the recovery process happened. And then uh, we moved to Florida since retirement, and we've been here ever since. Yeah, so it's definitely, I felt fortunate having the four years of high school in one location. Uh, and you know, I was, it was definitely something that I wouldn't have thought of because I didn't have to experience moving during my high school years. So talking to people, it's like, oh, well, it's really challenging moving during your high school years. And I found it challenging enough moving at the end of my sixth grade year. Yeah. So it's definitely a new new world and new experience whenever you move. Yeah, for sure. Do you remember any living in England? Just little flashes. We had a cute little, cute little duplex. Maybe it's a row house, little back garden. Um, and we would go down in our little pram, our little brown corduroy pram. And, um, you know, sometimes you'd go out on the flight line and look at the planes. I mean, I don't, your dad was army, right? Yes. So I don't know if you ever got to like go see the big vehicles. That's one of those weird military brat perks. Like you just remember sitting in the cockpit of a plane wearing a big helmet <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, not not a ton from Lake and Heath now. Yeah. Where do you feel like your first memories were at? Hmm. Probably Florida, the first round of Florida, we were down. My dad worked on Hurlbert and we lived on Eglin. They're kind of sister bases up on the panhandle. And that was grades one through three for me. And yeah, those are those are pretty distinct memories. We were in California before that, but we moved around so much, you know, because there's no housing available. So they put you in a little beach shack and then you can get on the Navy base and live on that. So that's kind of piecemeal. But yeah, up up near Pensacola on Eglin. What were some of those memories that you have? I mean, it's amazing what feels normal looking back. Like I was just thinking yesterday about how we would play with the old parachutes that the fighter pilot dads would bring home when they were no longer fit for actual parachuting. And we, you know, we play whale's mouth with them. Like we grab them and like push them open so you can, everyone can jump in. And that felt so normal. Like it felt so normal to look overhead and see the F-16s go by and be like, oh, I probably know those dads or moms. Yeah. Um, and, and to have to stop class at some of the, the base schools if there's a flyover because it's just too loud. Like you have to stop because all the desks right. are shaking. <laughs> and, and so it's really hard for me to tease out what are my, what are my normal memories and what are my military brand memories because it was just all... It's all so, so intertwined. Yeah. What are some of the differences you have between those normal memories and the military brat memories? Hmm. 
I think I was really proud of being a brat. I mean, it's almost like being American royalty. Um, my dad was an officer. So, you know, you pull up to the gate and the gate guard like sees the officer sticker, sees your ID and is like, oh, um, and um, I mean, you sound really proud of your dad when you talk about him and for to be able to look up to your parents is a real gift to a kid. So, you know, sitting on, the, I just remember sitting on my patchwork, my parents' patchwork quilt and watching my dad get his blues out of the cleaner plastic and you smell that starch and he pins on all the fruit salad and his name bar and his ribbons. And you ask him what they mean, like that, that is a special thing. And to feel that sense of connection and service and that you're part of the club, even though you're not doing anything. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're moving place to place and being a part of that, but um, yeah, that, that's a special thing. Yeah. And I think it's really special for a military kids experience. And then you have all these stories to tell uh, your own kids, like other people you meet, and that's not normal experiences that you have. That's not a normal thing to remember those types of experiences. Yeah. And they stay with you. I mean, you, you say you're retired, but you're really a brat for life. Like no matter where you go, you meet people who are military and you're like, oh yeah, I was on that base that time. I wonder if we were at the same time. And I do want to say though, it's not like my relationship with military life wasn't complicated. Like it wasn't it's not all a bed of roses. We're not all so brave and resilient and perfect. And we think that the military is always right. Like, um, I think sometimes that that's the message that gets across, but I feel like I always want to say it's more complex than that. Like sometimes you feel angry at the decision, like at the, you know, the department of <laughs> the department of defense for their decision. Like who, who are you mad at? your parent yeah. for enlisting? Are you mad at America for making these policy choices? Are you mad at the military for having this weird bureaucracy? Like, so I don't want to say that it's all sunshine and roses, but overall, I mean, just driving on base will turn your guts red, white, and blue, right? Yes. So speaking of some of those hard, like times, were there any challenges that you faced being a military kid? I think really it was, I think it was hardest on my mom when we were kids. Cause she was, she was constantly having to, to make a new life, you know, getting to the next place, signing up for the new dentist and doctor and library. And, and she really worked hard to make a home each place we go. So, you know, salute those military spouses as well. Um, when my dad deployed, I actually, I left for college and he left for Baghdad. So his deployment was much later in my brat career than I think some kids experience. You know, I've, you hear some kids talk about their dads deploying all the time throughout their childhood. My dad never left for more than maybe three months uh, when I was younger. So a lot of the stress of deployment was cushioned by the fact that I wasn't at home either. Um, so it, and, and because the there was better communication, you know, he could email us from sure. Baghdad. He was in the green zone. So there wasn't the same worry as, you know, my dad's out in the Humvee driving past IEDs, whatever. Like, so so he was in a green zone and, you know, maybe a rocket gets lobbed over there every once in a while. But it was a short deployment, it was six months. And it was when I think I was old enough to have some perspective, I think. 
Sure. Do you remember kind of how you were feeling during that deployment and what was going through your head during that time? There was, I don't know if, if your family experienced this, but there was a lot of no and yes. It's like, at first it was dad's going to be deployed. Oh no, actually he's not. Never mind. Oh, actually he is. Yes, he is. So it didn't feel real at first. And then, um, just to know that your parent is in danger is I think just psychologically traumatizing, even if it's subconscious. Um, but how did you feel during that time? Uh, it was challenging. It was, and because I was so young, you know, it was, it made it a lot harder trying to, you know, figure it out and be okay through it all. So yeah. Because you were eight or nine, was it? I was eight. Yes. And, um, he was gone for about probably six months before he left and I saw him again. So mm-hmm. it was a little shorter than it was supposed to be. But yeah, it was still challenging for sure. Yeah. Uh, what kind of, I guess, what were added bonuses of being in the military? All the discounts? Um, <laughs> um, you get sweet military discounts, civilian yes. people. Um some of the benefits. I mean, one thing that I didn't expect, I actually wrote an article about this for um, Bloom, which is like a military teen association. Um, I didn't realize like, oh, my ID card is defunct now. Like, it's kind of like being a Harry Potter locked out of not platform nine and three quarters. Like you can't get back on base unless your dad brings you. So <laughs> you really have a world that very few people can have access to like um like it's not just like someone can wander on base like maybe for an air show if there's a special event but people can't see that world unless you're a military service person or a dependent and it's a privilege like um you know just to loop around base and see the airplanes pinned up like insects on a naturalist board and hear the cadence calls when people are doing pt it really it's, it's a little bit like living in a fantasy world. I don't know. It's, it's hard to describe to people who aren't military. Like, what do you say? I don't know. It's definitely a whole new world, more or less, because, you know, the second you go past the gate, you're in you're experiencing so many different things. And like my friend said on the podcast a couple episodes ago, it was your ID is like a VIP pass. You yep. get into do all these amazing things that you wouldn't be able to do outside. Yeah, so. for sure. And while there's the um, the lack of safety in having a parent deploy to a war zone, there's something really safe about having a, a guy or a gal with a gun at the gate, you know, like we never locked our house or our car. We got to bike all around base because there's someone with a big gun stopping everyone at the gate. So I don't know. It's in some ways I got, I feel like I got a freer childhood because at least the base times because there was that safety on base. Yeah. Do you remember um, going to school, did you go to school on military bases or did you go homeschool or public school? I did a little mix of everything. I did um, base school, base school, one year of private school, and then two public schools. Um, yeah, so a little mix of everything. 
Yeah. Did you have one that you preferred more than the other? Hmm. Not really. I mean, I was a kid who liked school. It felt, it felt like a constant, actually. I don't know if you experienced this, but it felt like school is school, the world over. You know, you get in there, you know the rules, you know what to do. So it was comforting in times when you're, you're moving locations and cultures. School is school, the world over. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And uh, that's the same way I felt having school is like a constant. School is my, where I knew I could you know, experience life and have it uh, throughout the whole time. And that's even through uh, my college career now. And we always joke of what am I going to do when I have no more school left? Like you can only go so far and do so many things. So what, what do you do when school's over and you have that constant? I know it kind of gives you a sense of control. Like I can get an A. I know that. I can't control whether we're going to Virginia or Iceland. Iceland was an option one year. (laughs) We didn't end up going, but like, I remember my parents mentioning Iceland and being like, what? There's a base on Iceland? Um, So yeah, it's it's something I can control. And um, yeah, I think it was another safe zone. I think base and school felt like safe zones in a world of change and unpredictability. Yeah. Those years that you were homeschooled and private school, did you feel that you had a disconnect from the military? Mm, I never homeschooled. My brother homeschooled, um, but um, a disconnect. Yeah, when we were in Pittsburgh, my dad was um, getting a PhD, so we didn't live anywhere near an installation. Um, So, yeah, I feel like people didn't really understand. Like you talk to kids who have been in school with other kids since kindergarten, like they've known each other forever. So they don't really get it. I don't think I felt resentful. It just felt like you don't even know what you have. (laughs) You don't know how it is. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And I think that's the hardest thing is going to those schools that are outside of a military base and then having to say, okay, well, this is how we do it on the military base. So what do we do it here? <laughs> like, yeah. how do we do it? How's it run? Yeah. And those questions like, where are you from? You're like, <laughs> yeah. what does your dad do? Oh, he's Air Force. Does he fly a plane? It's like, not, not everyone who is Air Force flies a plane. <laughs> he's in intelligence. Is he a spy? I was like, no, not everyone is in intelligence. <laughs> Although I have people in my life who are sure that when my dad's security clearance is expired, he's going to tell us crazy stuff. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure. And, you know, having those experiences, you have to keep a lot to yourself and you have to be able to split between what you can say and what you can't say. Yep. Yep. For sure. Um, But there were times when dad would come home and turn on the news and he'd know ahead of time like what had happened. So he'd turn on the news and be like, yeah. So he, he was military intel with a counterterrorism arm a lot of the time. So uh, that was, it was very timely for, um, he did that even before 2001 with 9-11. And so you can imagine he was pretty busy. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember like when 9-11 happened and like being scared? Hmm. I remember I was sitting in high school, so that would date me, my sophomore year, and the teacher turned on the the TV, and it was just a sense of unreality, like what that can actually happen. And I remember coming home, and my dad didn't come home till late, like way past when he would usually come, and 
you know, dad was so diligent. So he, he would often come home later, but he came home and I don't really remember him saying anything. And he just sat down at the table and said, um, you know, my dad wasn't really a, ever a big talker, but he sat down at the table and said, um, so many people went to heaven today. And that's all he said. Like, and then we just pretty much all started crying. And it, it, it meant after that, he was really busy because back when, I mean, when, when he got in, everyone was doing Cold War stuff. So everyone was specializing in Russia. So my dad sort of zigged when everyone zagged and did Middle East. And then it turned out just from world events that he was suddenly a wanted man. And so um, he, uh, yeah, he was pretty busy after that. I remember seeing his workplace on uh, one of the bases and his, his office was pretty much like a metal trailer with concrete bunkers around it and razor wire and an extra guy with a gun outside. Like, oh, that's what he does. Um, yeah, it was, it's a, it's a weird, weird world. Yeah. Did you ever remember fearing for your dad's life at times because of worldly events that were happening? We were fortunate enough that he was in the green zone in Baghdad. Um, you know, deaths in the green zone weren't unheard of, but they were rare. So I think the the palace he was in um, was attacked a couple times, just some rockets lobbed in and some people tried to, you know, some insurgents tried to get on. But I, I don't remember worrying, but maybe that's because I was optimistic. I think my mom worried for sure. Um, I think maybe because I felt a little like my dad is, you know, no one can hurt dad. Even, even my college self felt like no one can hurt dad. He's going to be fine. But you know, crazy stuff. Like you, you know, you don't fly into the airport and drive to the green zone. Your C-130 does a quick circle down in the dark and then you get on a black hawk and you're choppered into the palace. I mean, it's his stories now, as I listen to them as an adult, I'm like, oh my gosh, why wasn't I worrying more? But um, not at the time, I think. I think I still had that childlike, oh, he's going to be fine. But that is not the case. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Do you remember any point in your life of wanting to join the military yourself? When I was in college, I was a bio major and interested in health career. So I, I briefly entertained, you know, maybe joining the military and as a, as a medical professional. Um, but uh, just the way that life panned out, uh, that, that didn't go, that didn't go the way um, I was planning it. So I, I did consider it. Um, and I think my dad was pretty neutral. He's like, yeah, if you want, it's a great way to see the world and pay back your bills. And, um, so I wasn't anti-military, but I don't think that the, what people think of as traditional military occupations appealed to me. It would have been in healthcare. Yeah. Did you, uh, ever have like your siblings wanting to join at any point? Not that I know of, um, my sister married a guy who had served in the Marines, but wasn't wasn't um anymore um but my brother didn't express interest so you know you you hear military brats who then go on to become military service people or or military spouses um but no the buck stopped with us (laughs) (laughs) 
Was there any experiences that you wish you had as a military kid? Hmm. I mean, maybe, you know, you've got to be careful what you wish for, but some kids got to do big international moves. Uh, You know, something like Japan always sounded cool, but um, trying to think if there was anything that I wished for. No, we, we were just so lucky in our placements. Like I said, um, just very pleasant places meet, you know, we met nice people and we got to repeat a couple places, which was really awesome. Uh, so no, I don't think I have many regrets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's always a nice thing to go back and say, no, there's nothing I wish we would have done differently. Nothing that, uh, wish would have panned out a different way. So yeah, for sure. We always say we got to, we wish we got to live in Germany or overseas, Mm. but it didn't take us that far. My dad did when he was a lot younger, but you know, we still wish we would have had some of those experiences before he retired and got out. And yeah. So were there any times that you wish you were a civilian child instead of a military child to experience some of those things? Hmm. Yeah, I think I had some jealousy about established friendships. You know, you get in there and people have their inside jokes and they've known each other since preschool and you are chronically the new kid. Like every time you got to come in and in some ways it's nice because then you don't you get people who um, don't know you in your awkward stages or that time that you threw up in first grade or whatever. Like you get the blank slate is a dubious blessing, the military child. Like you, you get to reinvent every time you get to um, yeah, you get a clean slate, but you also are constantly the outsider. You're constantly the new kid. Um, yeah. It's <laughs> two sides of the same coin. <laughs> Yes, for sure. Did you find any difficulty having to be the new kid in school? I didn't. I um you know, I I I'm an author and I write about military kids and I think it's important to acknowledge the many flavors of kids, you know, but I I would say that I sorted into the pretty classic like um uh you know, I was sort of my father's daughter. I was, I was diligent and I was organized and I was a people pleaser. He's not a people pleaser, but I was a people pleaser. I was, I was ready to fit in and do what it took to fit into that new space. Um, That said, there are plenty of kids who struggle with mental illness with every location. If their parents deploying, you know, they are totally checked out of school and are seen as problem kids um, when unfairly, because they were dealing with this, huge elephant in the room that maybe their, um, civilian teachers can't see. So, um, I, I had a good school experience and did not experience difficulties. Um, for me, it was safe, but I also want to acknowledge that that's not a typical experience. I think brats often get that like resilient badge pinned upon them when you don't have to be. And sometimes it's hard to be or impossible to be. Do you have a favorite part of being a military kid? Hmm. I think growing up, it was just being part of the club, like getting to go on base, your cool little holographic ID card. Are they still holographic? I don't know. (laughs) Um, I kept mine. It's still in my fire safe box. Um, You have your 
holographic ID card. You can go like bowling at the bowling alley on base because they always have a bowling alley on base. I don't know why. Um, yeah, so being part of the club and still whenever you say, oh, you were Air Force, where were you? Or like, oh, you were Navy. I lived on La Mesa in California. Um, you always have an, a point of conversation, a point of entry with them. And I was really proud of it. I still am proud of it. I think I have a, a more adult adult nuanced I think point of view because you know you sort of see the downsides of military life and the the toll it takes on families and service people um but I was always really proud of it and um just to be right up against uh the services it was really cool so same question but flipped do you have an a least favorite part of being a military kid? I think it made me a little bit mercenary in my relationships. Like I, I, I still in my adult life haven't lived anywhere for more than four years and moving back home, I have this little fear in my head. Like, can I actually be friends with someone for more than four years? I still definitely keep in touch with people, but I think I have that false leftover fear from being a brat of like, okay, time to move. See you later. Um, it's not that I disliked people, but people were, I think I objectified people a little bit more as a kid than maybe the typical civilian kid does. Did you do that? I don't know. <laughs> uh, I mean, it was definitely hard. I lived places for a lot longer than, you know, the average kid did. So I think that made it easier than to make friends and, you know, being, you know, 2000 up to now there's so many ways to stay in contact and um you know find people again for sure yeah yeah and I have found people again and have made more of an effort but I still have that itchy feet like give away your fish feeling every two three four years of like okay see you later people (laughs) I don't know how to maintain this relationship anymore Yeah. Did you find that it was difficult to stay in contact with people because we hadn't, we don't have social media media like we do now and things like that? Yeah. Up until the dawn of AOL instant messenger, which is also going to date me. um, It it was just sort of up to you to collect those addresses and send those, you know, snail mail pen pal envelopes to people you left behind. Um, but really, I think, especially with military, other military kids, there was this tacit acknowledgement, like, we are friends here and we might not keep in touch, but we're friends here. Like, it's, you know, it's okay sometimes to have um, acquaintances because you can only have so many close friendships. So I feel like while I, I really do try to invest um, authentically in relationships, I also have to be honest about like, I can't make 500 close friends. You just can't maintain that. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that's because of how much, how frequently many move that it's, you have so many friends and you have to not necessarily pick and choose, but at the same time, pick and choose who you want to keep and who you're willing to sacrifice to move on and make new friends yeah yeah but then sometimes you meet people that you know you guys are like 
soul sisters or brothers and you'll you'll keep in touch or or at least try to and that's really special to know um and I don't know I I guess I got to sort of see you start to see archetypes almost like oh here I am in the new location I don't know you but I know what kind of person you are (laughs) yeah Um, you can kind of figure out their personality yeah yeah and not saying everyone fits in a neat box that that sounds like oversimplifying but I think um I think especially as a kid I sort of started to sort people like okay you're that way and you're that way <laughs> yeah for sure uh so one last question what advice would you give to a military child hmm I mean I love the I love the old saying like good is vi- good advice not costs nothing and it's worth the price so taking with a grain of salt but I guess um I can hear someone stomping down my hall um I guess you don't have to be resilient like I feel like the teen military brat demographic um which I think was the time that being a military brat was hardest for me kind of doesn't get talked about a lot like you talk about military kids and they're cute in elementary school and they're holding teddy bears where their mom or dad deploys and like you know, you talk about them, but teens just kind of get swept under the rug a little bit. And just as you're figuring out life and love and friends, you know, you're yanked from place to place and told you guys are strong and resilient. And yes, you can be strong and resilient and talk to a therapist and feel sad and be angry at the military and love the military at the same time. So I feel like just Um, maybe embracing the complexity of the experience because sometimes the military feels like your best friend. And sometimes it feels like an abusive parent who you like love and are totally terrified of because it's so unpredictable and might smack you upside the head, like the next minute. (laughs) Um, So, so I, I love, I loved my military experience and I had a very positive experience and want to encourage brats to just, hold that complexity there. Yeah. I think that's great. So yes, unless you have anything else you'd like to add, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. I just wanted to say I'm, I'm writing a book about military teens and your podcast is such great research. Like, you know, I'm a little bit further out from my Brad experience. So plugging back in and listening triggers so much for me in a good, good and hard way. It's like, oh yes, I remember that. Um, so yeah, thanks for, thanks for making Grace of a Military Child possible. I can only imagine how busy you are. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you so much for being on and good luck to you in your future. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning into the Grace of a Military Child podcast. For more inspiring stories like these, be sure to review, like, share, and subscribe to this podcast. You can also find us on at Grace of a Military Child podcast on Instagram, and be sure to check out our YouTube page. If you are or know of a military child who would like to be featured on an episode of this podcast, DM us on Instagram. Be sure to tune in next week when we hear another inspiring story. Until then.